One good thing about having the announcements and the sermon is I can correct things I forgot. Like the collection box that we have up front that I didn't mention in the announcements. Um, if you brought your um, contribution to the collection, you can put that in at your convenience um, after we're done. There's a PayPal link. You've probably got 50 emails from William with that link. So if you want to use that, you can, you can use that as well. <clears throat> Galatians 5, 22 and 23 is uh, the fruit of the Spirit. Um, we go there when we say, you know, this is, this is what it should look like for a Christian life. This is what your life should be characterized by. Um, the fruit is born by the Spirit in good soil, uh, basically. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. So, if the Holy Spirit bears fruit in good soil, then these things should be part of me, who I am. And the one I want to focus on today is joy. Are you characterized as joyful? Do people just... You know, when, when, when you come up in conversation amongst your family or your friends, oh, yeah, just full of joy, uh, overflowing. Um, a, a, a verb way to ask that is, do you rejoice? Um, not at events, like, oh, I rejoice that, you know, I survived this car accident. Well, yeah, sure, everyone does that. But do, do you rejoice? Like, is it part of you? Um, are you in a state of rejoicing? Um, because the Spirit would bear that fruit. Uh, I'm gonna, trying a twist on a, a kind of a popular uh, question. If you were on trial for being joyful, is there enough evidence to convict? We use that question with Christian Christianity, right? If you were on trial for being a Christian, is there enough? Well, okay, what about being joyful? If, if, if it was illegal to be joyful, you were on trial. Are there even, are there character witnesses that would come up and say, oh yeah, this person is guilty for sure. They're just too joyful. <clears throat> so running to my own defense, I hear this in my head. Well, no, I'm not really joyful, but I've got a pretty good measure of some of that other stuff. I mean, that's my gut reaction, and I mean that sincerely. Like, that is my gut reaction to my own defense. Is well, no, I'm not actually very joyful, but I've got a lot of the other qualities. But then when I look at the list, I really don't. Can you imagine someone who's not joyful who, who knows how to love or someone who's not joyful who is known as a peacemaker or someone who's not joyful who is known for their kindness, someone who's not joyful who is known for their gentleness? It's really hard to kind of strip joy out of someone and, and they're known for the rest of the fruit, right? So how exactly how fundamental is joy to these things? So let's, let's consider some verses. 
Acts 13, verse 52. Acts 13, 52. And the disciples were continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. I mean, I, th I think we all appreciate the Holy Spirit part. Like, that, that's probably every time I've read this verse, that's the only thing that really stuck with me. Okay, they were full of the Holy Spirit. That means they knew the truth. That means they were going to persevere, right? That means they were zealous. But I skipped over. There's only, there's only two things that Luke wants to write about what these people were full of. And I'm only focusing on one. They were as full of joy as they were as full of the Holy Spirit. And if you go, you go back and read the journeys of Paul, it's not easy to be joyful for these people. <laughs> A lot of these people. Um, our lack of joy is self-inflicted. I'm just going to get that out of the way. It has nothing to do with persecution. Zero to do with persecution. Whatever lack of joy we have, and I'm, I'm preaching to myself, I don't know you well enough to know if you lack joy like I do. But it is 100% self-inflicted. I don't want it or I'd have it. These disciples wanted it. And they had it. Romans chapter 12, verse 15. Romans 12, 15. Again, this is another one we focus on the half of the verse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. I always quote this when something sad happens. <laughs> right? I only hear this verse when people are weeping. There's one of two reasons why. Either no one ever rejoices, and so there's no reason to quote the first part of the verse, or we're just not focused on it. I mean, th th this seems to say that you're supposed to get yourself into a rejoicing, joyful mood because someone else is in a joyful mood, regardless of how you feel. I, I just don't... I'm not happy, so I'm not, I'm not really going to go to the party. You know, I don't really want to share in your joy because I'm just not feeling it. I'm kind of in a funk. Well, I mean, this is kind of stated as a command. It doesn't say rejoice when you're happy. It says rejoice when others are, are rejoicing. It's something to be shared. Among Christians. In Romans, just two chapters later, Romans 14, verses 16 through 17. Romans 14, 16 and 17. Therefore, do not let what is for you a good thing be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Romans 14, we think, right, it, it's, this, it's this very helpful teaching on how to deal with different people's opinions and their, their consciences and how we're supposed to, right? But, but here, Paul takes this kind of aside to say, here's what defines the kingdom. Here's what it really is, and it's not food, right? Well, what is it? It's righteousness, 
got that, right? I can teach righteousness. I'm very focused on righteousness. And peace. Okay, I don't pick fights, so kind of, yeah. And joy. If that defines the kingdom, it should play a pretty big role in my life. I mean, when we read, when we read the list, right, the fruit of the Spirit, it's a long list, okay? But the rest of these lists are two and three long. They're short lists, and joy is one of the things. The kingdom of God is righteousness and peace and joy. It defines the kingdom as much as righteousness and peace do. It's as big a part of the kingdom as those other two things. Okay, last one in Romans. Romans 15. Romans 15, verse 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. There's a consequence stated in this passage, right? Paul's praying for one thing. I'm praying that the God of hope fills you with joy and peace in believing. That's what I'm asking for. I want you to be filled with joy and peace. So that, right? Okay, so... Joy now is playing a role in something as a consequence so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Joy is integral to the hope that we're supposed to have as Christians. I'm very good at having the intellectual, like, Jesus is coming back truth in my head that helps me hope in that. Like, you have to have that. I'm very good at that part. Paul is saying that I need to be filled with joy to, to flesh out that hope, to make that hope something powerful. And there's a couple of verses that we do focus on and quote sometimes, Philippians 4.4, 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. I've heard that mentioned in Paul in one verse. says twice, hey, you need to rejoice. We don't often talk about what that is. Well, okay. Rejoice. And in 1 Thessalonians 5.16, very short verse. Rejoice always. My point from these two is that it seems urgent. I mean, if Paul is, I, whenever I imagine Paul writing the letters, I don't imagine him sitting at a desk writing. I imagine him pacing in someone else's writing, right? And so I imagine him kind of pacing around the room or whatever, and he just starts shouting, like, rejoice, people. And again, I say rejoice. Like, he's, he's yelling this into the air, and the person over here is frantically writing it down. It's an urgent thing. Paul was concerned that the Christians either weren't rejoicing or would lose their joy. And so he tells Philippi and Thessalonica, you need to rejoice all the time. Like, I don't know, a phrase you might hear at work or something is like, get on top of this. Like, 
focus on it. Get a handle on rejoicing and why it's not in your life and get it in your life and right, fix the problem. It seems what Paul is saying in these verses. So what about the Old Testament? We're just going to look at a few verses, mostly from Psalms, but I do want to look at one passage in, in Deuteronomy. Because I, I found this interesting. Deuteronomy 28, verses 47 and 48. Deuteronomy 28, 47 and 48. Because you did not serve the Lord your God with joy and a glad heart for the abundance of all things, therefore you shall serve your enemies whom the Lord will send against you in hunger, in thirst, in nakedness, and in the lack of all things. And he will put an iron yoke on your neck until he has destroyed you. Lack of joy actually played a role in the punishment of Israel. God could have said, or Moses could have said, you know, however you want to think about this, because you did not serve the Lord your God, comma. Then, you know, for the abundance of all things, then you're going to serve your enemies. You're going to serve somebody is the point he's making in the text, but that's not what I'm focused on. I'm focused on why did God add, right? To my pharisaical mind, it's an unnecessary phrase, <laughs> right? From the perspective of me, as a legalistic Pharisee kind of guy, right, which is something I struggle with all my life, all you really need to say, God, is because you didn't serve the Lord your God, you're going to serve your enemies. But that's not what he said, which means what he said is important. And it's as important as what I'm focused on. What did he say? Because you did not serve the Lord your God with joy and a glad heart. God took it personally that they weren't joyful. That was a big deal for him. Let's just put it that way. That was a big deal. He looked down at them and he said, these people have no joy. Let's just do it. Enslave them. It seems kind of fundamental to obedience, this joy. And, and, and in fact, this is in Deuteronomy, which is before any of that happened, but Moses is speaking of it in the past tense, <laughs> right? It was so certain that that was the outcome that God said, I'm going to, I'm going to speak of this in the past tense. I'm going to tell them that it's already happened. Okay, so let's look at some of the Psalms and see how they can encourage us to rejoice, right? That's the problem. The problem is the lack. We want to get out of that. We want to be full of joy. Psalm, and I'm just going to read single verses, not, not entire passages. Psalm 32, verse 11. Psalm 32, 11, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones, and shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. It's actually tied to uprightness. We shouldn't be joyful that 
well, I'm such a good person. Well, we should be joyful because he's justified us. Knowing what we were and, and the things that we've done in our past and that God has justified us in his eyes, that's awesome. That is something to like rejoice over constantly. And, and if you take this very literally, really upright people are the really the only people who have a reason to rejoice. Justified people are the only people who have anything to look forward to. Psalm 33, one, one, one psalm later, Psalm 33, verse 1. Sing for joy in the Lord, O you righteous ones. Praise is becoming to the upright. I like, I, I didn't check out other versions, but I like how that one is, is said. It's like, it fits, right? Like, the praise and the joyful song that, that you take on as an upright person, as someone who's justified in his eyes, that it fits, it, it's, it's by design part of who you are. And I think other people, whether they're Christians or not, will notice that. They'll be like, yeah, it just fits. Like, I know this person does not engage in these things and always has good words to say and they're kind, but the joy and the, the singing and, you know, everything about them, it just fits. Which means, like, if you're walking around trudging with your head down constantly, and you say, yeah, I'm a Christian. Well, it doesn't fit. Some, something's amiss. It's, it's, out, it's out of whack, right? Okay, Psalm 71. Psalm 71, verse 23. My lips will shout for joy when I sing praises to you, and my soul which you have redeemed. So there's not just singing that's joyful, right? In, in this psalm, shouting for joy and singing praises. I don't think that means you yell at people, right? But maybe you get a little excited and your, your volume goes up a little bit when you start talking about the promises that you have. I mean, I'm not saying that you should lose control of your emotions, but it's going to be obvious when you, talk, when you talk about eternity, it's going to be obvious how you feel about it. It's either going to be a joyful thing or it's going to be like you're just kind of recounting some grocery list, right? Yeah, there was the diamond and there was like the topaz and there was pearl somewhere, right? Psalm 81, verse 1. Sing for joy to God our strength. Shout joyfully to the God of Jacob. This is directed to him. Do you ever go to him just, just out of joy? Like the joy that you have because of your relationship with him, you just go straight to him and you express the joy to him. No one else has to see it or ever know about it. But if you remember Deuteronomy, right, that was something that God took personally, was their lack of joy. So why shouldn't we expect that he would love it when we come to him just out of joy? We're just so joyful. 
Psalm 92, verse 4. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by what you have done. I will sing for joy at the works of your hands. Remembering our motivation for joy. He is the motivation. It's not our circumstances. Well, you know, I'm having a pretty good day. So that means that God has blessed me today, and so I'll be joyful today. And then on the day that I'm having a bad day, God didn't really bless me, so I'm not really going to be joyful. Right? That's not how it works. Joy is not circumstantial. Happiness, right? That, if you think of it like a mood, moods are always circumstantial. I mean, they're chemicals in, in your head, right? Circumstances change. The chemicals in your head change. Your mood changes. That has nothing to do with joy. I mean, it can help you be joyful or, or hinder you from being joyful, but that's not joy. That's not joy. Okay, the last one from Psalm, Psalm 95, verse 1. Oh, come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. This goes back to that idea that joy should be something we share. There really shouldn't be in the average week. I'm not saying, I don't want to say shouldn't. I think it, it, should, it should be unusual. Let me put it that way. It should be unusual in the average week that you have a more joyful experience than Sunday morning. Just on average. This, this, this is like the pinnacle of getting together with a bunch of people who are all focused on heaven and walking toward heaven and have the same respect for the true king of the universe that I have. And we're going to sing about where we're going and we're going to talk about where we're going and we're going to escape from what the world is forcing on us. Let us shout joyfully. It's only a handful. I mean, you guys know Psalms are just full of joy. But I wanted you to notice what the spirit in the Psalms has linked with this idea of joy. <clears throat> the righteous and the upright in heart are encouraged to be glad and rejoice because it's fitting. If you're upright, joy should follow. The redeemed soul shouts in song, are you redeemed? I mean, I think you are. I'm not, I'm not questioning <laughs> your salvation. I'm asking I'm asking ridiculous questions, right? It's, of course you are. Well, then are you shouting for song? Shouting for joy in song. So God's strength and his works and his salvation should inspire us to sing, shout for joy. And when's the last time that you, that happened to you, Right? Sometimes it's a sunset or a sunrise. Like I see people post on Facebook still. Facebook is still out there, by the way. You know, they'll say, oh, I saw this, this sunrise or this sunset, and I thought of this hymn or I thought of this verse. I see that. I know it's happening for some people. But I think the, the short answer for me and I think for, for others possibly is that um, we're, we're just not interested. We're just not interested in what God has done. Um, I'm going to hijack a metaphor that Jesus used. If our interest in God's works was the size of a mustard seed, right? 
we would be overwhelmed with what he has done in his creation and his recreation of us. So what are we interested in? Um, I know this is going to shock you guys, so don't fall out of your seats. But we can recite and we can elucidate the, the, the platforms of at least two political parties at the drop of a hat. Well, that tells you that what you're interested in. Um, here's another shocker. We know what color sock rotation our favorite sports player has, like what he's wearing on Tuesday and what he's wearing on Wednesday and what his batting average is like when he's wearing his red socks versus his yellow socks. Right? I mean, we keep up with that kind of crazy stuff. But we can't sing for joy over what God has done for us. Because we're, we're, we're not interested in it. And I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that, like, in a sarcastic way. I just mean, like, that's, what, that's, that's the fact of the matter, right? If you were interested in it, you'd be constantly involved in it. And the problem, I think, at least this is for me, the problem is I think my interests are just my interests, and they're not malleable. That's me. I'm interested in soccer, and I'm not interested in baseball. Well, that's just me. Deal with it, right? Well, that's wrong. We learned those interests. You weren't born interested in soccer. You weren't born interested in politics. You learned it. Or it appealed to your flesh. But you learned it. So how has it happened that meditation on and appreciation of God's works has fallen so low in value, they don't even affect our mood anymore? And joy is much more than a mood. But we can't even have our mood affected by God's creation and God's works. So what do we do about it? Well, take something that you're interested in, legitimately interested in. Take something that you're interested in and start replacing it. Replace it with either reading the Psalms, replace it with meditation on God's word or God's works. Replace it on quiet time, thinking about him. Replace it with prayer. So, I mean, something that you're interested in, that you're like, okay, I'm really interested in this. I know a lot about this. So, I'm going to cultivate joy, actual joy in my life rather than interest. I'm going to cultivate an interest in, in God's things that will inspire joy in me. Verbalize it. When is the last time, I, I don't remember the last time in my life, I'm not calling anybody out. <laughs> when is the last time you expressed to another Christian the joy that you had because of what God has done for you? And I don't mean like in a, like, you know, some kind of, you know, vanilla, you know, I'm saved, I'm really joyful. I want you to know that. No, like, 
what has God done for you that might be different than what he's done for someone else? What kind of family did you grow up with? Or what, kind, what, what did you escape? What do you look forward to in heaven that someone else might not have even thought of? I look forward to everything tasting like chocolate. <laughs> I mean, that's joy, okay? Sorry, Josh. Josh doesn't like chocolate. All right, but you guys understand what I'm saying, right? We have to spend time thinking about these things if we're going to have anything to verbalize to someone else. My step three here says go back to step one. Just do that over and over. It's not complicated. Turn off your TV. Turn off your radio. Read your Bible. Open your songbook. Anyone here needs a songbook at home? Take one home. I'll buy another one. I'll commit. I hope we don't have 500 people on the Zoom, but I'll commit to buying you a songbook if you need a songbook to get to get joyful. Um, you can't you can't happy your way into heaven though. Right? You can't you can't just become happy and say, oh, because I'm happy, I'm going to heaven. Doesn't work. That's backwards. Right? Um, you must be in a relationship with God in which your sins have been forgiven in order to, for any of this to make any sense or have any power. There's no reason to be joyful outside that relationship. If you are outside that relationship, I would encourage you to be terrified and sad and mope about and never be happy again until you are in that relationship. I don't want you to be joyful outside that relationship. So that's the first thing. I didn't want to end this without saying that. We need to come to God and be in that relationship with him. But those of us who are, we need to cultivate joy so that the world will see that. Thank you for your attention.